Surprisingly, we're talking all about Celgene today. This is Industry Focus. Hi, Fools. Healthcare analyst Michael Douglas here today, and I'm talking with Todd Campbell. Uh, we and, and, and we're talking all about Celgene Corporation today, which is a, a little bit surprising to me um, because... Uh, there's been there's been news about Celgene. We've got a question about Celgene, and so just a lot going on, and uh, and so I think it should be a, should be a good conversation and a very I don't know what, what's the word I'm looking for a very closely aligned episode since since it's really kind of different pieces around Celgene. Now, first off, let's talk about the news. So Celgene uh, announced on Wednesday, July fifteenth, um, that they were purchasing Receptos, um, which is this smaller biotech for $7.2 billion. Um, and that's primarily to get uh, get a hold of their main pipeline candidate. Todd, what's your take? This is a transformative deal. Yeah. I don't think that um, many people, I think pretty much everybody was expecting that Celgene would jump in and do some sort of a deal this year. I don't think I was the only one who was thinking that this could happen. Sure. Um, you know, Celgene has been kicking off a tremendous amount of money uh, quarter after quarter. Its cash stockpile has been growing. Um, and people, you know, myself included, have thought, hey, you know, they think that they can more than double their revenue in the next five years. Uh, if they're going to be able to grow beyond 2020, they're probably going to need to go out and start spending some of this money and buying up some um, some great and, and potentially game-changing medicine. Right. And I think that's exactly what they've done here with this deal for Receptos. Yeah, and and it's an interesting deal as well because um, when you look at when you look at uh, what they paid, right? So um, they paid seven point two billion dollars, and the um, primary uh, drug that they're going after, uh, uh, which I'm going to mispronounce inevitably because this is healthcare, uh, Ozinamod. Um, they're estimating four to six billion in peak. Um, in peak sales for this drug. So when you think about the valuation multiple, it actually looks like a pretty reasonable deal for Celgene. I mean, sure, they're going to have to pay for these phase three trials, which are very expensive for the drug. But if the drug actually ends up succeeding in those trials and then ends up in um, you know getting commercialized and actually achieves those peak sales, then they actually acquired it for a pretty reasonable multiple. I mean, you often see in biotech, uh, you know, uh, two or three times peak sales and this would be a little bit under two. Yeah, the the drug that Celgene is getting, Ozanima, however you want to pronounce it, right? It's it could very well end up being a best in class oral treatment for multiple sclerosis. Yeah, with, a, that, with a possible kicker in ulcerative colitis as well. Yeah, and potentially Crohn's disease. Right. Um, so you know, this is a drug that is, could be. Um, a, a, they think it's going to be four to six billion dollar drug. You know, you always have to take those kind of things with a grain of salt. Right. But oh. in this case, I think that they they're not that far off the mark, and here's why. You know, right now, people who are getting diagnosed with MS are getting prescribed uh, if they're going with the oral treatments, the tablet treatments, either Biogen's Tecfidera mm-hmm. or Novartis's Glenia. Okay. If you look at the first quarter sales and you annualize first quarter sales for those two drugs. You're talking about about $3.2 billion in annualized sales for Tecfidera, about $2.4 billion in annual sales for, for Glenia. Okay, so you're talking about $5.something billion in sales just from those two drugs, okay? Right. So 
what makes ozenimod so much in, more interesting or intriguing is that during its phase two trials, the safety profile was similar to placebo. Yeah. So if you can be Celgene now and say, hey, we've got this drug. We've already got a sales force that's out there pitching their first autoimmune drug, Tesla. Okay, so they can leverage experience that they've gotten from that. And they can go out and they can say, listen, we have a drug that's as effective as these other oral drugs, but has a much better safety profile. It's hard for me to believe that they're not going to become the de facto or the go-to drug um, in the oral class. Right. Which, of course, there's always the caveat we have to put in there, which is, you know, phase three trials are still uh, years out from reporting. And so it could be that it, you know, that data doesn't look as impressive as the phase two data did. But if it is as good, and clearly Celgene thinks it will be, because otherwise they wouldn't have paid, they wouldn't have plopped down $7.2 billion for it. Um, then there is really quite the opportunity here. And it seems like a really, uh, as you pointed out, really transformative and I would say smart and I would even say for biotech reasonably cheap deal for Celgene. So a pretty darn good deal from Celgene's point of view if everything works out. Yeah, I mean, for full disclosure, I happen to be long Celgene, so I am yeah. a little bit of a uh, biased in it. I'm, I'm a fan of it. And, I, and, you know, anytime a company goes out and spends $7 billion of shareholder money, you've got to kind of rise, raise your eyebrows. But in this case, <laughs> I think it's it's got a better than not chance of, of paying off. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, time will tell. Data from the Phase 3 trial for Zonimod in MS is expected in 17. Uh, ulcerative colitis, that should come in 18. Theoretically, you could get an MS uh, approval or denial by right. the FDA in 2018. Right. So, you know, you've got a drug that could be creating blockbuster sales by 2018 or 19. And, you know, I mean, think about it this way. Celgene is one of the few companies that will actually go out and give you forward guidance years off into the future. Right. And as part of this announcement, they also increased their 2020 forecast from a minimum of 20 billion in sales to a minimum of 21 billion in sales. Right. So, you know, again, they're thinking and, and likely this is a little conservative given what their peak sales forecast is for this drug, right. um, is that it's worth at least a billion in extra sales by 2020. Right. Well, and, and, and Celgene, Celgene's management hasn't, hasn't really been a management that's, that's liable to go out there and say, well, this is a, a massive opportunity and then really under-deliver on it. I mean, of course, no one can predict the future. But um, when I think about conservative uh, managements that are conservative with their guidance, Celgene is always pretty high on my list in healthcare. So um, so that's always always a good sign. Definitely a, 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 a development, a big development in healthcare and for Celgene and for Celgene shareholders like you and me um, that we'll be wanting to watch moving forward. Now, the second thing really wanted to discuss today um, was a question that we got. Uh, it, folks, by the way, you know, before I go any further, we love getting questions. Please uh, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. We love answering questions from the mailbag. They're always just really interesting things. If you've got a stock you want to talk about or you're curious about what we think about something that's going on in healthcare, whether it's Medicare, the Affordable Care Act, Medicaid expansion, anything at all, drop us a note, industryfocus at fool.com. Uh, we we try to respond to every um, to every email we get. We certainly read every email we get, and when we try to feature as many of them as we can on the show. Um, that said, Jonathan uh, from California was asking us about Juno. Now, Juno um, 
had signed a deal with Celgene, uh, which we'll get more into in a minute. But the, the the big question was sort of why is their stock valued so high? Um, you know, at, at the time of the note, you know, it was, it was about a five billion dollar market cap. Um, how do you think about whether the pipeline justifies a particular valuation? Um, you know, how do you sort of quantify those? The the fact that you know with these with these biotechs, you're really trying to look into the future and really trying to understand what that future could be and how likely it is that a drug's going to get into that. Particularly given the fact that drugs are highly likely to fail. They, you know, the vast majority of them do um, that step into human trials. So, so Todd, let's let's break down that question a little bit. First off, let, let's give a little bit of, of background for our listeners on on the Juno Celgene deal, and then we can kind of move into thinking about sort of Juno's pipeline. Sure. One of the hottest areas in research right now is immuno-oncology. Yeah. And immuno-oncology, what they're trying to do is they're trying to re-engineer a patient's immune system to better identify and then kill cancer cells. And there's a few different ways that you can go about doing that. Um, but one of the most promising of them is CAR-T approaches, where you would basically you take T-cells out of a patient's body, you re-engineer them to be able to identify a protein that's being expressed by the cancer cell. You put those T-cells back in the body, they propagate, and then they're able to go out and they're able to kill that cancer. Right. Whether or not that works long-term, who knows? Juno Therapeutics, though, is one of the leaders in developing those CAR-T approaches. Right. Um, so then thinking about Juno Therapeutics, you know, when, you, when you look at their pipeline, and, and folks, I encourage you, you know, just just Google um, Genotherapeutics Pipeline and you can kind of see the pipeline and even follow along with us if you want as we sort of talk about it a little bit. You know, you see a lot of drugs in preclinical and phase one. Um, and so one of these, one of the real struggles in biotech is thinking about, okay, so a drug's in preclinical, that means it hasn't even been tried in humans yet. What does that mean in terms of what the drug could do? You know, how do you think about valuing that? And, and, and for me, um, I just find it, just about impossible to to value a, a preclinical drug because I, something works in mice that doesn't really tell me whether it's going to work in humans and and there's still so much um, difficulty in terms of figuring out you know what will end up causing let's say liver toxicities or kidney toxicities or whatever kind of is- safety issue that might make something um, unsuitable for humans and even with phase one I mean when you think about phase one a lot of the times it's it's uh, escalating dose basically to see sort of what sort of dosage you 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 want to modulate to um, to make sure that you're you're getting that sort of and and you're looking to see if you're getting that dose dependent response. So essentially, you know, you increase the dose. Does that do anything um, to the to the disease that you're fighting? Because you know, theoretically, if a medicine's working, more of the medicine should should work more, right? Um, and you've got these phase one uh, trials that are just so small, so much of the time that it's I think it's really difficult to to really know what the opportunity is there. Right. And in Juno, it makes it even more difficult. You had asked about the deal with Celgene. Essentially, what Celgene has done is they've said, listen, we're going to give uh, Juno 150 million bucks up front um, for the rights or options to these these CAR-T therapies. We're also going to give you $850 million to buy 9 million shares or about 10% of the company. So Celgene has looked at this pipeline and they said, listen, we think Juno has a best-in-class option in the CAR-T um, and we're willing to, you know, if you want to just break it down to the basic numbers, we're willing to give you $1 billion for 10%. Right. 
right? right. <laughs> so <laughs> essentially, that's what it's coming down to. Now, how they came up with that value, well, that's a little bit of the mystery machine. You know, in the case of Juno, the, the million dollar question is a $4.7 billion question, which is what their market cap is right now. Right. You know, is it worth $4.7 billion? Is it worth some multiple the, to that? Is it worth $60, $70, $80? Like you said, phase one is typically, okay, is the drug safe and what dose should I, did I dose it at? Phase two, you're looking at, okay, does the drug work? And then phase three is a confirmatory trial to say, yes, it does work and it works in a lot of people. Right. So anytime you're trying to figure out the peak sales potential for a drug so that you can put a value on a company like Juno, you have to make some assumptions. And anytime you make an assumption, you make a blank out of you and me. Right. So, you got to be very, very careful in uh, avoiding getting overly bullish in your assessment of how many patients could this drug treat, uh, what price could they charge for this drug, mm -hmm. how likely is it to, the, to actually get through trials and regulators' desks, um, and then what kind of market share can it collect. And then you have to discount all of that by um, you know, the time value of money. Because right. a dollar today is worth more than a dollar 10 years from now. So it's not easy coming up with a model that's going to effectively tell you that it's worth X amount of money. And I think that that's what's so vexing about investing in biotech, that you do have to do a lot of, we'll call it educated, learned uh, guesswork. Uh, back of the envelope math. Yeah. 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 I mean, when push comes to shove, you're doing everything that you can to, to know as much about the pipeline and the indication uh, that a drug is targeting and what the competitive landscape looks like. Yeah. Um, but but ev eventually you're going to have to say either buy, sell, or hold. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you'll be right, sometimes you'll be wrong, and yeah. sometimes it won't matter. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, because you have just so much risk early on, um, me personally, I tend to avoid uh, early stage companies, even exciting early stage companies. I, I tend to go for um, companies with... Um, broad pipelines, which Juno certainly has, um, but also some depth to their pipeline, you know, where they've got some phase three assets that um, that perhaps prove out the um, the overall platform or that at least have indicated that there's some, you know, incoming cash, probably incoming. Now, balancing against that, though, you also do have one of the things that I think is an excellent sign for any uh, clinical stage biotech, which is they've got a they've got a big, well-heeled partner that's involved. And um, you know, when you think about a Celgene or a or a Novartis or you know any of these sort of let's say large biotechs or big pharma's, when they get in, you know they don't play around. They're looking for stuff that can really move the needle in a big way, usually. Um, and so that tells you that there's potential here. But yeah, there's a little defense going on here too. Of course. I mean, Celgene, you know, makes a lot of its money um, by selling drugs to treat multiple myeloma and, you know, lymphoma and blood diseases. Right. So, you know, by lining up CAR-T therapies like those at Juno um, that could, you know, be used to treat these conditions someday, um, it, it, it's a good way of kind of protecting the franchise. Oh, absolutely. And... And this is very classically Celgene, right? They, they spent a lot of this time sort of going into these pretty early stage companies, sometimes taking an equity stake, sometimes not, but, but getting involved early because let's face it, they can pay a lot less money than they will later on if this works out. Um, but, but I would say that at least me personally, um, my sort of company buying strategy is that I tend to go for companies where there's a little bit less risk and I'm willing to accept uh, missing out on some of that early growth because of that. 
Um, so for me, Juno is too risky. For someone who's less risk averse or is really, really confident that um, these particular types of immunotherapies are going to work out, that may be a different story. But but for me, that's kind of why it's a watchlist candidate and something that I want to kind of watch that data, see what happens, um, and then uh, potentially look into it further down the road. 100% agree. Yeah, we're uh, we're pretty similar investors, Todd, for for better or for worse. Hopefully, for better. Um, you know, it's it's, it's been a good couple of years in the market, at least. Um, all right, well, folks, that's all we've got today. Thank you as always for giving us a listen. Um, check back daily for the industry focused podcast, and of course, our uh, sister podcasts like uh, Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money. Um, also, Fool dot com for all of your investing needs. Um, thanks much, and we'll talk to you soon. Fool on. Uh, as always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Always do your own due diligence. Thanks. <laughs>